This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, Dice Envy, because let's face it, you aren't the problem, so it must be the dice, and listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links, and to our patrons who support us directly at patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, I'm flying without Tracy. In number 306, we're going to carefully meditate on ancient traditions that will make us both strong and wise as we discuss monks. Joining us in this episode is the Classmaster from Tribality.com. Welcome back, Brandis Stoddard. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And we are excited to have you, as always. Also on the panel with us is one of the hosts of Performance Check that just dropped a, a really good episode that I listened to uh, earlier today, actually. Uh, a show right here on the Tome Show. So welcome, Jonathan Green. Hey, it's good to be here. Joining us from tomorrow morning in, in Glasgow. From the mysterious world of the future, it is not much better here. Yeah, well, <laughs> I imagine it's, I was going to say it's a lot like this, but darker, but it's actually darker around here, too. It's almost nine, so. Uh, and then lastly, but not leastly, joining us is the Tome Show's social media manager, Ishmael Alvarez. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back. All right. This is a continuation of our class series examining each class in depth, and since our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show helped us to order these last few classes, I want to give a special thanks to Keith Bryan, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, uh, Jeremiah McCoy, Matt Bible, and Doug Palmer for their support, as well as many other patrons over there at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Thanks for your support, guys, and thanks for helping us figure out what you want to hear next. Now... It is time to chop through a stack of bricks with monks. However, before that, I want to mention our sponsors. First up, our longest-running sponsor. They're a brick-and-mortar store, as well as an online game store that specializes in finding out-of-print products. My pick for this episode is the game Kung Fu. It's a whole game in a box where the players play young martial artists uh, getting ready for their, their final exam to become full masters. It runs in less than an hour or so, and it's only $11 over at Noble Knight, so easily worth checking out if you're into into the monks that we're going to be discussing tonight. Uh, and if you do check them out and get that or anything else, make sure to let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. Huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com. Or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. And now I want to mention our second sponsor, uh, DiceEnvy.com. 
They're a dice retailer and creator that carefully curates unique dice sets. You can go to their store and buy up some of their some of their sets of dice, but even better than that, they have a subscription service that allows you to get awesome, unique dice sent right to your door every month. There's three levels, and in this episode, I want to talk about the, the high-end original monthly dice box. It's $22 a month, which at first seems a little pricey, uh, $22 a month for dice, but these dice are not only carefully selected in unique sets that they've, that they've uh, very, very meticulously put together, but typically these are also made from unique materials like metal or wood, and you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find good metal or wood dice sets for less than $22. So it's a pretty good deal, plus you get the surprise and the benefit of, hey, here's this specially selected just-for-me set of dice sent straight to my to my doorstep every month. So it's a really cool idea, and if you can afford it, I think it's totally worth checking out the $22 a month original monthly dice box set. And if you do check them out for that or anything else, again, make sure to let them know that the Tome Show sent you. There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions. Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. All right, now it's time to commune with our inner spirit and throw some some hits on everyone with a flurry of monk info. Uh-huh, huh? How many monk <laughs> illusions can I get in? So well, well, those kicks are fast as lightning. Ooh, oh, it's a little bit frightening. That's frightening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> expert timing. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so let's start off as we usually do with our classes and talk about the description of what the monk is, as well as its sort of its history where it comes from in D&D um, and, and sort of its path f- through the additions and, and through the inspiration uh, for the class into what it is today. And since this is his specialty, Brandis, would you like to get us started with that? Sure thing. So uh, in terms of thematically what we're looking at here, they've always been going for some split between um, Shaolin monk, Kung Fu master, and ninja. It is rolling those things together into the monk class. Um, You can go farther afield to find influences if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, You can argue that there's some some DNA DNA of maybe um, a a yogi or um, other kinds of uh, unarmed uh, martial arts traditions. But you're having to squint a bit to get there. Right. Regardless, it's kind of an it's definitely an Eastern uh, uh, martial arts tradition. Uh, really, I'm sure, it in, wants to be. Yeah, in, in my mind, influenced heavily by like classic sort of martial arts movies, right? Yep, absolutely. The guys who um, were, were building this stuff in 1975 definitely watched a lot of martial arts movies, and 
then put it down on a page. <laughs> there you go. So, so when did yeah. the monk make its first appearance in D&D? So in 1975, TSR released Supplement 2 Blackmoor, uh, which followed uh, after Supplement 1 Greyhawk. You had to have Supplement 1 Greyhawk to understand some of the rules in Supplement 2 Blackmoor. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> so... The, the original monk in Supplement 2 is, and I mean this in the kindest way possible because I'm speaking of the dead, it is a hot mess. <laughs> well, oh, boy. Blackmore was, if I remember correctly, so Greyhawk was like one of the original sort of settings of D&D. Yep. Um, and, and, and thus, and, and Gary Gygax ran in it, and, and a lot of the, the characters from it got named into the game, right? Big B... Uh, Morgan Kane and all those guys were were Greyhawk characters. Uh, Blackmore was Dave Arneson's setting, as I recall. Right. As yeah, far as I know, that's correct. Yeah, and I remember I remember it mostly not because I've ever seen any of the original things, but there was a uh, an update, I guess, to Blackmore like uh, twelve years ago or so. Um, and Ed Greenwood worked on it and, and what have you. So they did an updated sort of, I don't remember if it was third edition or if it was systemless, but it was one of those two, I'm pretty sure, um, that they, they did an update to it. But uh, but yeah, so that was Dave Arneson, the other uh, creator of D&D's uh, setting. And apparently includes martial artists, huh? Just so. Um, the monk is in there, and um, a lot of the... Ability concepts that have survived into 5th edition are here, maybe more than even in any other class in the game, but um, hmm. the, the specific mechanics are just a mess. <laughs> but you're saying uh, that the concept of the class has changed very little from 1st edition to 5th edition? Very, very little. Even, um, if, even if the specific mechanics of how they pulled it off has changed. Okay. So monks appeared early in first edition then, if that was module two. Uh, it was what we'd call OD&D, sure. Right. First uh, edition is 79. I suppose. <laughs> Those early days always. Uh, um, I didn't get into it till the 80s with second edition and, and my, my Myrmidon, uh, you know, riding with the big moose antlers on his helmet uh, right. on the player's handbook. That was my first uh, D&D book. Um and the monk doesn't appear in there. So, so OD and D, the monk shows up early. Does the monk show when? When does the monk show up in first edition? Uh, the monk is a uh, player's handbook class in first edition, um, and then disappears then again for second. So, in second, it shows up again obliquely in the complete fighters' handbook and mm -hmm. the complete priests' handbook and faiths and avatars. Hmm. Uh, it is definitely not a core class, and its implementations in second in those three books are super super different. Oh, so there's three different uh, three different entries for it, and each of them are completely different versions of the monk, huh? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Just ah, a, second uh, edition. <laughs> Just a quick side note, side note here. There was actually a, a problem right as they were making that transition from first edition to second edition. A, uh, a little-known author named R.A. Salvatore was coming in, and he said, hey, I want to write this brand-new book in the Forgotten Realms, and I want to make a monk the main person. Mm -hmm. And TSR goes, there's a problem. We're releasing second edition, and monks don't exist anymore. Right. 
<laughs> so Salvatore had to say, okay, fine, I'll write about a cleric. And he wrote the cleric quintet, and he just made the supporting character a monk. And that was his way of kind of cheating. But the original intent there was always to make it a monk. And then he was caught completely off guard when they decided, nah, there really aren't monks in the Forgotten Realms right. anymore. Right. Uh, he has wouldn't, a long history he... of, of surviving um, addition changes like that. Uh, he, he had a similar conversation. I don't know if you've heard the story. It's fairly fairly commonly no, known. But he had a similar conversation with the guys at then TSR um, when they switched to second edition with the Drist books. Um, yeah, it was second edition. When they switched to second edition with the Drist books because he has Artemis and Truri as a character who is an assassin. And they're like, well, so we're killing off all the assassins. All of the assassins died. So how are you going to deal with, with Artemis? Is he going to die when when the god of murder is killed and all the other assassins in the world died? Or what? Because that was the Forgotten Realm sort of answer to why there's no assassins in second edition. Is uh, the god of murder died and all of the assassins just killed over. Um, and he's like, well, nothing's going to happen to Artemis. And like, well, you've got to do something with Artemis. He's an assassin. All the assassins are dying in the world. Uh, and he's like, yeah, but he's not an assassin. He's a fighter rogue. So uh, let, let's just move on. <laughs> Call it good. <laughs> so he always sort of finds a way, right? <laughs> so the monk shows up in second edition in, in three different supplements in three dramatically different ways. Um, but then in third edition, as I recall it, the monk gets codified pretty, pretty firmly uh, and is a player's handbook class. Yes? Uh, actually, looking back at my notes, I should say uh, substantially more than three supplements oh. in second edition. They're all completely different. Let's move on. <laughs> well, yeah, because I imagine because second edition also had like the the Oriolan Adventures book, and there had to have been like a monk equivalent in there. That was first edition. That was first edition. Yep. Oh man, how did I end up with an Oriental Adventures book? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I only played second edition, but I still have it. Oh well. We, we mashed up a lot of first edition in our second edition, I think. But A lot of people did. Yeah. Anyway, third edition. Third edition. Uh, third edition, we get back to something pretty recognizably close to what we see in fifth edition. The, the, there are some differences still, but um, I think that if a, a designer were to be told, hey, so... Um, adapt this class to 5th edition, uh, mm -hmm. you would just get the right thing, mm -hmm. even if they'd never actually looked at the 5th edition monk. Yeah, no, um, I was going to say the same thing. I feel like the 5th edition monk, and we'll get into the details of it in a bit, but the 5th edition monk is very much, look, feels a lot like to, like somebody said, let's take the 3rd or 3.5 monk and just convert it to 5th edition, um, yep. because there's a lot there that I recognize. Like, 4th edition is a little bit of a departure for the monk, Um mechanically and a big departure in some other ways that I want to talk yeah. about. but I'm going to argue it's a big departure. Yeah, yeah, well, mechanically it's fairly similar, but yeah, there are some big problems there. Uh, I think that you can see some things that got cleaned up from 3rd to 5th. Um, th there were some outstanding issues that were discovered over the years, mm. but that's it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so should yeah. we talk about the, the, the fourth edition years? Uh, sure. So they were the uh, striker for the psionic power source. And yeah. that's super different. Um, then fitting all of their uh, attacks into the fourth edition attack structure 
is pretty super different because all along the monks have been picking up a lot of passives as they advance and a lot of weird utility as they advance but their offense is mostly just increasing in the dice expression mm-hmm. it's not usually changing its form in a radical or dynamic way right so getting and higher bigger dice to when you use your unarmed fights and, and combat and whatever just so yeah yeah no i mean i guess so the attacks and things for the monk in fourth edition i guess that's not the part where i feel like the fourth edition monk really diverges because that's an equivalent divergence for the monk to pretty much every other class, right? For fourth edition, because fourth edition worked differently, right? With the because everybody had the the at will encounter and daily abilities, uh, and so they all kind of functioned a little bit differently in that way. Sure, um, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think the the part that really bothered me with the the fourth edition monk and, and and i was clear about it at the time as well as much as i'm uh i was a, a fourth edition fan and i continue to maintain it was it was a good edition of the game although fifth is much better um the problem i had with the monk was that bit where you said that they made them psionic so the history of monks being psionic is complicated in itself sure I mean, that claim goes all the way back to uh, 81, I think, in one of the early Dragon magazines, like 50-ish or something. Um, there was actually an argument that, no, monks should be a form of psionic power. So the argument about are monks psionic or not, that goes back years oh, yeah? and years, like to the very, very beginning. That is very well spotted. That is Dragon Magazine 53. Um, but in original D&D, um, when... Psionic rule, psionics rules were introduced. Monks were explicitly barred from being psionic. Hmm. Monks and druids were the two classes that could never manifest psionics. Well, and I can kind of, I can kind of understand the psionic argument for monks in that they're reaching into themselves and they're finding sort of an inner strength and that, and they're expressing it through these different abilities and what have you. Uh, and that's similar in, in story to what psionics is doing, but psionics and, and martial artists and monks feel very different to me, right? Like psionics is like, I'm tapping into the, these powers that come from, from, you know, beyond space and time uh, and monks are a very different sort of tradition that, that's almost as much spiritual as it is, um, uh, you know, internal and reflective. I think that's fair, though, when you get to how the powers actually expressed psionic ability in fourth, it was so light touch that mm. I think it's probably fair to say that they were filling a slot they needed something to fill the psionic striker slot. And, and they uh, knew that people wanted to see the monks come back. Right. No, I, I think that's I think, absolutely true. And I also said at the time that I feel like that was a, uh, a pretty severe lack of creativity on their part of the, to make that decision. So I, I see why you'd say that. I think that if they had written a soul knife there instead, they'd have been on solid footing. And I think that if they'd called the monk a martial striker, they'd have been on solid footing, except mm-hmm. they were already flush with martial strikers right i think they could have made a whole other power source of key um and and there's plenty of ways of doing that and filling the other roles 
Uh, I mean, setting aside the fact that there were already more power sources than we probably needed. That's probably fair. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, and so that brings us up to the fifth edition monk, right? Uh, just so. Which which is uh, our our it's a core class uh, right there in the player's handbook. Uh, it's a it's a core class. It gets three subclasses in the initial release, and just like everyone else, it gets more in Xanathar's, mm-hmm. and it gets one in um, Sword Coast Adventurers Guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which is two more in Sword than Coast most Adventures, of but one of them got reprinted. What's that? Two of them in Sword Coast Adventurers Guide, but one of those two got reprinted in Xanathar's. You're right. My mistake. Oh, okay. Yeah, which which is more than I mean, most classes didn't get that kind of mechanical love in Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Uh, it was what them and and Sorcerer, uh, them and Warlock. No, no, you're right. Yeah, Sorcerer got the Storm Sorcerer thing going yeah. on, right? Yeah. And um, they they did uh, Swashbuckler. Oh, and Warlock for, and then the the Wizard um, Blade Dancer went in there as well, didn't they? In the Sword Coast Adventures guide. Oh, is that in there? It may be. I believe so. I haven't pulled that out in yeah. a long time because <laughs> most of that stuff has been reprinted elsewhere. And yeah. and, and the the Purple Dragon Knight too. Was that a, a full subclass though? Yep. Yeah. I might have purple. to go back. It's been a long time. Yeah, Dragon Knight was the. All right. The so so, so the I'm making armor. I'm making monks more special in that book than they are. <laughs> okay. So so let's talk about monks then. Let's start with we're in fifth edition. We're we're figuring out what character to play. Why should I or somebody decide that they want to play a monk? What's the the motivation behind playing a monk? Anybody? I think there's a huge draw in uh, sitting on a fairly steady four attacks per round mm. um, real early in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it costs you key, but you can bleed key for a long time and be making four attacks per round at fifth level. Yeah, because you get you build up key relatively quickly. I mean, you start with two, uh, you know, and then it quickly goes up with each level, and your key you can recharge with a short rest. So it's basically how many key points you get per encounter. Yep. Yeah. Um, monks are also the least equipment-dependent class mm-hmm. of anything. Like, if you yeah. take a fighter and you take away his armor and his sword, he's in some trouble. Wizard without a spell book, they're good for a little while, but then they're in trouble after a bit. A monk is the one character where if your DM does that thing where you wake up naked in a prison cell, you're fine. You're pretty much just like, as good as you were at the beginning. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's also an interesting thing where monks get to be better with some kinds of weapons than any other class can be. Um, in my campaign, there's a monk who is the only person who finds a magical spear appealing. Hmm. Because it's a monk weapon. Because it's a monk so, weapon and you can do there you go. extra damage with it and, and charge your key, key abilities with it and all that. Yep. He can also use it in its versatile form and it doesn't slow down his... Uh, unarmed attacks, mm-hmm. so he's still getting his four attacks around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I had a monk in my campaign for a long time. Um, a thing happened, and now he's a wizard, but he was a monk for a long time, and um, he he also used a spear. In fact, uh, we were playing uh, in my campaign, where I've mashed up a bunch of different campaigns, right? And one of them is um, Princes of the Apocalypse, and so he got the, the special elemental spear, Windvane, 
um, from that and was very disappointed when he had to give it up in order to close the portal. Um, <laughs> but he's picked up a, another spear since then and then, you know, went to the abyss for 50 years and became a wizard and, and these all, all these things happened. Um, so none of that matters now. But, uh, yeah, he was a spear user as well, I know. So, so monks can be better at certain weapons. Monks are the ones who are going to get like the crazy amount of attacks like we talked about the fourth edition version of the monk being a striker and if you kind of squint those some of those fourth edition roles still kind of exist right there are certain classes that are designed to have uh, big outputs for damage Um, the monk in my campaign is certainly dishing out hellish damage Um, no question so the monk can do that, the barbarian does that, the rogue, uh, I think, is built for that as well. These are the three classes that if I like, I want to dish out a bunch of damage, these are the three classes I go to. The monk does it differently, though. Like, the barbarian does it because he rages out and smacks things really hard, and, and the, the rogue does it by hitting things really hard with a backstab, right, or a sneak attack and getting extra bonus damage dice. Uh, the monk does it not by doing a lot of damage, but by doing a little bit of damage several times. Right, you mentioned yep. that very early on they're getting four attacks in one in one round. Right, they get a normal attack. Um, what is it? They get a normal attack. They get a flurry of, with flurry of blows. They get two more attacks. And assuming they're meeting all the monk requirements in terms of armor and weapons, they automatically get just a bonus attack on top of that as well. Yep. So for one key point, which you recharge at the at the end of uh, at every short rest, um, you can make four attacks per round. And even without that, just by default, you can always do at least three, even if you're out of key. Like you can take one mm-hmm. flurry of blows just for free, and then spend a key point. Yeah, if you want to just slap them one more time. There you go. There's a lot of pressure on their bonus action economy because of the other things they can do as alternatives to flurry of blows. That um, just that the core monk also has patient defense and step of the wind that are really appealing. Mm. So and and I want to get into to all of those. Um, any other sort of story reasons that we might want to play one though before we get into sort of the features? So we talked some of the mechanical reasons, like you want to hit a whole bunch a little uh, for a little bit of damage. But what kind of character am I do I want to play? Well, I think that the three different subclasses of the player's handbook are telling really different stories, mm. and they make themselves really appealing for those stories um way of the open hand uh, not to get ahead of ourselves uh, mm-hmm. but the way of the open hand is a very classic kung fu master mm-hmm. way, way of shadow is a ninja mm-hmm. it's just straight up a ninja i'm here for it and way of the four elements is avatar the last airbender is, is bender, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's a thing yeah. right Absolutely. And, and so those are, are three different sort of archetypes that you could play. But I think generally, like you, you mentioned or somebody mentioned earlier that, that the monk is the one that gets by really well without any equipment. Um, so there is a, an appeal to that. Like if you want to be the, the person who doesn't care about the, the riches, doesn't care about the loot, isn't that kind of adventure. If you want to play the person who is maybe connected to a, a nearby small town community that gets into danger and that drags you into into uh, a life of, of adventuring, um, I think there's a lot of appeal there. Now, the, the monk as it's built in 5th edition... I think does a, a good job of giving an option for an Eastern martial artist 
class. Um, it it struggles a bit to like shave off the serial numbers and turn it into something else. You know, um, there are some versions or some editions where you could kind of turn it into a uh, a boxer, you know, or a pugilist, uh, or some other form of martial artist from from different parts of the world. Um, I have a hard time doing that with the monk because some of the features lend themselves well to that, and some of the features are like, yeah, this is really a, a kung fu movie thing. Like, this doesn't make as much sense outside of that context, you know. Well, you can like, get there if you squint really hard at the way of the open hand, but you're squinting pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, even some of the the, the core monk abilities like uh, slow fall, you know, um, or even deflect missiles and that kind of stuff. Um, well, slow fall is superhero landing. I suppose <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, like uh, like Brandis said earlier, I mean, in a lot of ways, the monk class really hasn't changed a lot from the very beginning, and it was born out of that mid seventies, um, you know, where kung fu movies were were all the rage. Bruce Lee was making waves. You had David Carradine in kung fu, and that was one of the most popular shows around. Like, there is a very specific archetype that the monk kind of stuck with, and this is still sticking with it, and it mm-hmm. is very much that. Um, Western view of what Eastern fighting is. <laughs> sure, and yeah, and and that absolutely I think fits into that. Uh, and this is off what I had on my agenda, but but what do we think about that? Like, there's there's different things that complicate that, right? On one hand, it's a Western view of an Eastern tradition. Uh, is that problematic? Uh, on the other hand, you have a game that while not exclusively, largely focuses on sort of a, a pseudo-European feudal uh, fantasy storytelling, throwing in Eastern traditions, how do we feel about that? So so that, that argument has definitely been central for a long, long time. Um, and there are plenty of campaigns that don't even try to support the monk as a specific result of that very argument. Um, I'm going to say that I think if they wanted to, they could have uh, tweaked the design of the fighter so that Monk was a subclass of fighter, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not where they were going with it, and I can accept it as a piece of D&D tradition. Um, I don't really feel qualified to talk about whether it is... Uh, Offensive or not? Okay, Ishmael, you looked—you sounded like you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, it definitely seems to be uh, maybe kind of an obstacle to the implementation of the monk in high fantasy, or at least in in some instances, it is. If I remember correctly, um, the Midgard setting actually kind of says, "Yeah, we don't really have monks." Um, and so they don't really do much with them. They don't try and incorporate them. And I think there are maybe other settings that would make it a little bit troublesome as well. Uh, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. That was the most prominent example. But uh, there, I, I know that at least apocryphally, I've uh, spoken with people who are like, yeah, Monk doesn't make sense in my campaign. I'm, I'm more about like elves with the uh, longbows and, and knights and dragons. Like this, this martial arts master kind of clashes with my idea. It doesn't clash with my idea. I'm just repeating what I've heard. Yeah, no, and I get that too. Um, <clears throat> I have a hard, like, 
in the same way that I mentioned that that Wizards of the Coast in Fourth Edition had had a, a lack of creativity when it came to the monks, um, I feel like that argument is built around that same lack of creativity that that sometimes you know people get an idea in their head of this is what this thing is and it doesn't make sense in these other places. I'm like, well, yeah, but look at the monsters that you're running. Are all of them right. Western culture tropes? Probably not, you know. A lot of the the creatures in the Monster Manual that we have accepted as as the norm uh, in D anD D are not Western culture myths or creatures or whatever. Uh, they have traditions in Africa. They have traditions in Asia. They have traditions in South and Central America. Um, you know, there's a lot going on there, and so and 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 even like we said before, like if you don't want there to be a an Eastern style, like on one hand, like I can make an argument that fighters are pretty um, um, universal almost. Like every culture has a fighter. Every culture has magic users, um, you know, uh, throughout history and throughout the world and, and what have you. So, th- so they don't have a specific sort of cultural bent to them necessarily. Um, but monks, maybe you could say do. Okay. But if somebody wants to, like wants to play that character in Midgard or another setting that that maybe says that these things don't exist, I think I as a DM am, am very quick to say, okay, let's do that. Like there may not be a, a giant community of them out there. You may be unique, or or at least rare. But yeah, let, there's no reason not to allow that if that's what somebody's aiming for. So, right. I think that people are feeling like. Uh, incorporating all of the tropes of sort of wandering kung fu masters is the only way to show the monk there's a lot of other approaches right. uh, some of the great ones that i've around are uh you know adapting them into street brawlers mm-hmm. adapting them into um historical european unarmed martial artists mm-hmm. uh, which is more or less what the monk in my game is doing um and adapting them possibly into dancers. Mm-hmm. I mean, and certainly, like, every culture, it, it pretty much, I think, throughout the world has some sort of martial arts tradition, right? I mean, uh, East Asia does not have a monopoly on martial arts. Um, so Everyone has discovered punching and kicking. That's right. right. <laughs> Weird, right? So I think with some, some appropriate sort of reskinning of things... You know, maybe you don't call it key or whatever, but but I think you can reskin some things and make the monk work, regardless of your setting and your story. Well, so. and I mean, to to some degree, you have to say, well, yes, I have a very specific Eastern European or sorry, Western European, like you know, fantasy setting. You've got dragons and elves and trolls <laughs> and demons. But suddenly, you can't have somebody who can punch really good with their hands. Right. Like, uh, you, you can imagine dragons, but you can't imagine somebody punching really good. Yeah. Like it's, it's just silly to say, no, monks don't make sense. Now, please move out of the way. I've got an Umber Hulk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Although, although I do always enjoy, um, like, when my character is playing a monk and they're fighting, you know, they're fighting the dragon or they're fighting Emics. Like, that's a thing that happened, right? The monk is fighting Imix and runs up and punches the giant fire elemental to death. Um, it's certainly a fun look, but it's not really any more ridiculous than I poked it with this sharp stick of, made out of metal that I got. Uh, and, and that killed it when it's a 
giant fire elemental, right? Um, so it, it it's it can get a little ridiculous, but it makes about as much sense as anything. So I totally had had that monk uh, running up Orcus's leg at one point and punching him. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah and I, I would say one thing you know kind of jumping back a little bit what makes a monk fun mm-hmm. i feel like monks inherently they, whenever you're describing monk combat you can have a lot of fun with it uh you know i've had monks run up you know the side the side of a uh, of a hill giant throw a chain around its neck jump down choke the hill giant and then uh you know swing around and trip it you know, whatever all sorts of weird crazy stuff because that's kind of this weird mental image that we have of this you know the, that kung fu insanity mm-hmm. and so yeah you know i would never describe a fighter probably as running up orcus's back i'd describe that like a monk doing that at the drop of a hat oh yeah like, of course the monk can do that why couldn't they sure well and one of the things that uh kind of getting back to the idea of why should we play a monk right is that one of the things that makes monks interesting is that they're not just an unarmed fighter right the they're also um, they're also just as stealthy or can be built to be just as stealthy as just about anybody else, right? So they're the, they're the sneak, they're the scout, they're, um, you know, they can, they, they're the backup rogue if, if need be for other purposes. Um, so, so monks are a different thing than just a, a different build of fighter the way that they're presented here. Uh, are we ready to talk about the, the features and the, the mechanics of the 5th edition monk? Yeah, let's get into it. I say so. So, I struggle a little bit in my outline here uh, because usually I like to sort of highlight key features of the different classes and and make sure to talk about at least sort of those major features. Uh, and you can usually identify the major features of a class because they're the features that other features are built off of or that scale over time. Right, um, the the barbarian's rage is clearly like the key feature of the barbarian, and it scales and builds over time. The monk is a little bit different in that regard, or at least to some degree. Now, it, there's the one definite key features. No, two two definite key features. I think are martial arts and key. And then okay. after after that, they either get stuff that you can do with your key. Stuff that it makes you a better at the martial arts, or stuff that's like just completely different and seemingly unrelated, except that you know it's very kung fu action, sending nineteen seventies action movie ish. Yeah, uh, the monk to to large degrees is a is a kitchen sink kind of class. Mm. Um, the the one kind of I guess maybe big theme that you can take through is um, in some ways the monks are the most survivable class. So with key, you get the ability to take patient defense and dodge or disengage as a bonus action. Um, you get to start deflecting missiles. You get to not take falling damage. You get evasion. You stop being charmed or frightened. You're immune to disease and poison. You get proficiency in all saving throws. I would say maybe the one line is eventually you just start survive everything. Yeah. Eventually you just straight up stop aging. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so things that would physically harm you. That just stops happening after mm-hmm. a while. So that may be kind of the one underlying theme, but this is very much a ton of different abilities, almost more random than I'd say any other class. Well, and and they definitely go back to the old um, traditional monk, right? Uh, third edition was was um, was infamous for classes that 
you know, you gained a level in some classes, like not much happened. You picked up some hit points, maybe a few skill points, and, and that was about it, right? Um, and so there were some classes that had what were called dead levels, right? And so some sometimes you leveled up and it was interesting. Sometimes you leveled up and it wasn't, and that's just the way the game worked for for third edition. And then there were classes like the monk. The monk was the class that you took because you wanted to get something interesting and new every single level. And the monk in in fifth edition follows that exact template, right? Uh, you get something new every level, and it's not just uh, necessarily building off of the things that you already have. Although sometimes it does. Like you know, at fifth level, the thing you get is you pick up an extra attack because you're not attacking enough yet. Right. Um, but even that's fairly significant. Right. <laughs> like being able to pull off a whole extra attack in a round uh, is not a small thing. Uh, and so the, the, the monk is the class that does something new every level. And sometimes it's deflecting missiles and sometimes it's slow fall and sometimes it's whatever. But it does something new every level. And that's why I think it get, picks up that sort of kitchen sink. Uh, and it's not... I mean, it's not kitchen sinky in that it's just random and miscellaneous. It's kitchen sinky in that it does a lot of different things and it covers a lot of different ground. But you can definitely see that it's all coming from the tradition of mimicking martial arts movies from the late mid, mid to late 70s, right? I'd agree with that. I'd also say that their defenses are – because like their, their mid to late features are so defensive. I think the defenses are – very much responding to what's going on with spellcasters at those levels mm. um, because the monks are are probably not going to be piling on gear that is going to improve their defenses. Mm -hmm. They're instead going to be on their own, and so the class features have to pick that up. Right. I so mean, the, Diamond so, Soul is, is what I'm into here, right? Right, so Diamond Soul is the one that says you're proficient in all the saving throws. All six saving throws, including death saves, all right. seven saves. And, well, and, and I would okay. Go go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, I would say that the uh, the monk was probably a, a very early example of what they like to call like ribbon abilities, things that really don't um, unbalance the game terribly much, uh, or at least they don't like when the monk gets it, but uh, are just neat and really kind of evoke your idea of what a Kung Fu master is. Mm. Uh, like, really, the ability to slow fall isn't going to ultimately impact the game as much as, like, a fifth-level spell or, mm -hmm. or what have you. Uh, or the ability to stop aging. That doesn't do anything to the gameplay balance, and yet they get all of these abilities that kind of build up over time, not to make a monk more powerful, but to reinforce this is what a monk is. Mm -hmm. uh, and you start to see that being implemented even now, a little bit more when you're starting to do archetypes for like swashbucklers where it's like not only do i get to uh do these things with panache but i get like a cool little thing like my cape billowing in the air and i think that's um a really cool design space mm -hmm. although um i did discover through uh dming a monk um that by the time the monk or at the point that the monk hits fifth level they do pick up an ability that give depending on your encounter design can pretty quickly just shut the whole thing down. Yep, because that's it, one thing I, that's on my list oh to bring up. Yeah, because at fifth level, the monk picks up Stunning Strike. Um, Ooh, yeah. And and I found that if I was running an encounter that was, you know, 
a solo, like one big bad for them to fight, or even uh, just a small number of big bads for them to fight, but they were, you know, bigger and badder, uh, it didn't matter because the monk would come in and just stunning strike it. And you know what? If it didn't work, they would just spend another key point and stunning strike the next one in the same round because they get all those attacks and they can just mm-hmm. burn all the key points, making every single one of them a stunning strike until it works. <laughs> so... Um, they, 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 that my monk pretty effectively just locked down my small number of, of opponents' uh, encounters uh, to the point that it was, you know, two or three rounds of stunning strike. And by the end of those two or three rounds, they were out of key points, but the monster was done. So <laughs> that's all they needed. That's why you got to have the fake boss, and then and then the real one shows up, and then they're SOL. Right. This is not well, my sure. final four. <laughs> Well, and, and you can do that, but I don't want to do that every time, right? right? So, I mean, that's mostly a joke. You'd have to be a real jerk. Right. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah, in my you... game, I... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, in, in my game, I did have to make a rule that you can't stun the same creature multiple times uh, just to right. stop this exact thing. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to take away from that ability, because that's a cool ability. But otherwise, especially if there's just one creature, it's just, yeah, stun done and once they get to like mid levels you can do that every round and after three or four rounds everything's going to be dead mm-hmm. and you can do it multiple times around and so that was a house rule that i had to implement in because stunning strike really is that powerful for certain types of encounters right and other types of encounter like if, when they're fighting the horde of something right when there's 20 or 30 monsters on the board right stunning strike is not impressive at all but sometimes you want the big the big boss to be sitting there by himself and, and throwing down and, and the monk makes that kind of encounter problematic. <laughs> so uh so we, we skipped around, but I, I think it's important to go back and talk about sort of the, the basic mechanics of the monk. I think one of the basic things of the monk is you don't want them running around in armor, and so they have the unarmored defense. As long as you're not wearing armor or shields and stuff, you get your AC being ten plus dex, plus wisdom, uh, so that they don't rely on on wearing armor and things, because that's not very monk-like. And then they have martial arts. Uh, somebody want to describe martial arts to us? No? So, so sure. Okay. Um, so martial arts is um, a big part of their core. Uh, it lets you uh, replace your strength modifier with your dex modifier, for everything that qualifies an unarmed strike and everything that qualifies as a monk weapon, you've got a list of weapons and then suggestions for how the list of weapons in the player's handbook can also represent a lot of your uh, classic uh, Asian martial arts weapons um, so that they don't have to stat uh, you know, a Sai or a Xiangyam or mm-hmm. a Nunchaku or whatever. Which is right? what they did in previous editions. Is they just stat exactly. them all out. Yeah. Uh, and I think that boiling down the weapon list in that way is a great move. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, anyway, um, those things aren't finesse weapons for them. They just get to use their decks. And fifth is the kind of game where that super precise wording is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it also lets them replace the uh, damage die of their arm strike and their monk weapon with a scaling die value that starts and goes up to a d10 and that's enormous um, and 
I mean, there are uh, weapons that do that or more, but not a lot of them. And when the right. monk is doing that with every single hit, um, that adds up pretty quick. Right. And that can include things like a dagger. So you just throw the dagger for d8 damage. Well, that's pretty darn good. Well, th- th- that's because it's not just the dagger, right? It's the it's the the way that you're using the dagger and and the oh, martial sure. arts combined with it and all whatever. Like I always ended up describing it as you know I'm the the monk might be fighting with the dagger or the spear or the staff or whatever, but some of the only some of the attacks are actually coming from the weapon. Some of them are elbows or knees or or kicks or whatever, uh, and so it's a combination of using the weapon within the larger context of the martial arts. Yep. Um. And um, then martial arts is also where you get your uh, extra uh, unarmed attack as a bonus action that doesn't require a key spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that is upgraded to two when you spend key, right? So that's what goes on with martial arts. Right. And so then you get into the key, um, which we mentioned with, with Flurry of Blows and all that. And key is basically just this reserve of, of points that the, the monk, that represents sort of the energy that they've built within their body. And you can use the key for various abilities. Right away at the beginning, you can use it for a second level. You can use it for Flurry of Blows to pull off the extra attack. You can use it for some, you can, some extra defense. You can move it for uh, Step of the Wind, which allows you to you know, run away and, and do that kind of stuff. And also jump really far. It's that sort of classic... Um, martial arts movie, you know, jumping to the top of the wall that should be way higher than anybody can jump. So so that's the those are the basics of the monk, but then after that you keep just stacking on all these other random um not not I keep we keep I keep saying random, not random, but these other sort of thematic uh you know kung fu movie abilities you know the the monk is faster than normal people so they get bonuses to to their basic speed and eventually they can run across uh you know liquids and up walls and that kind of stuff um they they are able to to catch arrows out of the air and if you're good enough you can catch an arrow and throw it back at your opponent um you know all of that kind of stuff slow fall we mentioned stunning strike we mentioned um Evasion, I don't think we did mention, but is one of those that that gets its name even straight from um, third edition. That was one of those abilities that everybody wanted, right? Uh, there's actually an evasion introduced in the high level campaign supplement for second. Oh, is, was it there too? Yep. I just remember that that evasion was. It may have been around in second, but it was third edition that it was like, oh, everybody has to take evasion. Right, yeah. everybody has to find yeah. somebody. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, if everybody wants it, then you know it's probably too good, right? Um, yeah. And and yet here's the monk, and it still gets evasion, which basically means um, instead of save for half against spells, you save for none. You just completely avoided the fireball or the lightning bolt or whatever. Yeah. So I think monks and uh, monks and rogues. Or, yeah, monks and rogues are the only ones who get evasion. Right. And um, the the amount of times I've seen evasion save that player, whether a monk or a rogue, like it's it's astronomical. Like oh, yeah. everyone else is getting destroyed by a red dragon's fire breath, and then suddenly the monk or the rogue just does a backflip or ducks behind a rock. Right. And they come out and they're like, yeah, no, I'm I'm fine. I might smell a little bit like a little bit like smoke, but you know, 
Well, because some of those attacks, like even the half damage, adds up real fast. But when the monk of the rogue, when the person with evasion is just like, no, I took zero damage. Like, then it adds up not at all, because that's what happens when you add zero. (laughs) (laughs) So. And these are already typically the people who are going to have a phenomenally high dex save. Yeah, probably. And then pretty soon after that, they're getting the ability to, uh, to, to be proficient in all the saves, right? Uh, they get things that, that allow them to, to shuffle off charm or frightened effects, which I, I suppose makes sense if you think about the, you know, the meditation sort of aspect of, of, um, of the class, of the monk. Um, Tongue of the Sun and Moon is a strange one where you can use... Like you're so in touch with your the energy that connects the world that you can now understand uh, all languages. You can just talk to anybody and everybody. Yeah, I don't remember any Jedi getting that power. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I can't think of what that would be in any kind of like kung fu uh, context. So w- when I look at that, I always think of those moments where, um, and you see this sometimes in in kung fu movies or people that are very kind of in tune and in touch themselves it's less of a direct communication and it's more of this like empathy and understanding like mm. ah, i know what this person is trying to say to me because you can see their intent you can see their emotions and they'll have those moments of silent communication that pass between people mm-hmm. um so that was my always my read of tongue of the sun and the moon and i think they just said right you, you can understand all languages and people can understand you as a kind of a shorthand way because if i was actually narrating this it will be those moments where you just understand what someone means and someone's intent Hmm. and vice versa okay i mean i suppose i could see it being a skinned that way rules is written i would argue that that's not what it does but okay (laughs) oh yeah i mean no rules is written it's like yeah whatever you can speak everything it's fine right you can just speak it to anybody uh so any other um core monk features that you think are worth discussing that, that either I breezed over too fast or uh, that I haven't talked about at all. Well, I do want to touch unarmored movement. Okay. As, um, it turns them into the preeminent speedsters of the game. Um, and it, it will up to double their, uh, their base speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts at uh, increasing their speed by 10 feet and scales up to 30 feet. And... Um, then they can also use Step of the Wind to dash as a bonus action. So that can be just a phenomenal amount of ground covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in 3rd edition, I had a, uh, a monk in a game I ran who kind of maybe sort of played like you as the Flash. Uh-huh. I mean, if you're going to make uh, the Flash in D&D, uh, a monk is definitely the class you have to be. And you combined with a party member who can cast haste and a tabaxi, and then you're good to go. And then, yeah, <laughs> that'll pretty much do it. Okay. Uh, one other, one other quick thing we just kind of skipped past, but is a pretty key feature is the unarmed defense, which means that your AC is not based on armor; it's based on your dexterity and your wisdom together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so similar to the barbarian, you get to add their constitution. You get to add your wisdom, which again means you know you standing naked in a field is just as good as someone else who is wearing plate armor assuming that you've got decent stats well and and that's interesting too and we didn't mention this with the barbarian but it's it's true with both of them because of that feature um they're also one of the classes that's kind of 
your character has kind of assumed that they have to be pretty darn good in, in at least two stats um, to be the best version that you can be, right? Um, if you're going to play a monk, you've got to have a pretty good wisdom and a pretty darn good dex in order to really pull off monk. And don't stint on con. And yeah, well, and so that and then that starts to become problematic real fast, right? Like you could play a monk using the standard array or point by, um, but you're probably going to be more likely to play a monk if you roll your stats and happen to get some good good numbers. <laughs> so, so let's get. Yeah, in. There, okay. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say there there aren't very many characters in fifth edition that are they they call it mad sometimes multi attribute dependent uh, and yeah monks and barbarians are definitely in that uh, in that category and um, they try to really steer away from that but it just seems like with all the different things going on with monks specifically uh, they 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 really couldn't uh, move it away from that uh, that kind of necessity of just spreading everything out. Mm-hmm. And and uh, previous editions, that was really like the iconic version of that to me was always the paladin. But that was because like in second edition, it was just baked in. Like you had to have a minimum of these numbers in these stats, or you can't, just can't play a paladin. Um, not because it necessarily was was essential for the class, but because it was required to even Look, enter the when, class. When third edition came along, and that high charisma actually did something for the paladin, mm. we all danced a little dance of joy. Because <laughs> it was meaningful, right? Yep. So you mentioned, uh, I think Brandis mentioned earlier that there are three uh, monastic traditions, three subclasses for the monk. Uh, each one of them gets three additional abilities, kind of. And I say kind of because the way of the four elements is is complicated. Um, but they all each basically get three additional abilities um, at different levels to make them more of whatever they are, right? So you have the the way of the what was it, the open hand, which makes you more martial artsy. Uh, it adds in the iconic monk abilities like the quivering palm, where you you know you start a vibration inside of somebody, and then whenever you want to, you can just be like, uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and yank on that vibration as long as we're on the same plane and you're at zero hit points or if you save you take 10 d 10 points of damage right yeah um so that's kind of an iconic one it's it's just sort of the the monk who focuses on being extra extra good at the martial arts piece Um, Uh, and this is one of the only editions where wholeness of body is actually kicked out to a subclass mm. rather than belonging to every monk everywhere Mm -hmm. because wholeness of body is the one where they can heal themselves yep uh it's uh one of the best um healing returns that the features ever offered in early editions uh wholeness of body is just almost no healing once per day Mm -hmm. cool thanks yeah it was always pretty minor. I mean, it was it was plus it, one. You say it All was right. good. It was good in a pinch, but yeah. Uh, and then the second build is the way of shadow, which is, uh, I believe, Brandis described as the "Do you want to play a ninja?" build, um, where you get you know shadow arts and shadow step and and that kind of stuff. Right, you're good at sneaking around and hiding and then jumping out of from nowhere and and punching someone in the head. It's also a nod back to the uh, Shattered Dancer of yeah, uh, 3rd edition prestige classes. Yeah. Ah. Okay, anything else about the Way of Shadow that we need to mention? Um, I was 
just going to throw out that, uh, you know, the, the ninja, it, like the monk, is kind of one of those pop culture icons that kind of transformed from what it originally was. Mm-hmm. Um, like a monk, it just is kind of like this uh, Im- imagining of what we think of like some uh, iconic uh, Eastern mythological thing, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The the curious thing to me about the Way of Shadow is that until you get to Opportunist at high level, there's no damage increaser. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to ninjas being, you know, the striker to end all striker mm-hmm. that seeing them on par with other monks for damage output rather than stepping into the lead was a surprise. Yeah, although I could definitely see, you know, an argument that well, Way of the Shadow isn't necessarily a ninja and maybe a, a multi-class monk rogue um, that takes the, the right sub subclasses um, builds into a really effective ninja, right? Yep. Uh, and then the last build in the Player's Handbook, and like we've mentioned, there's been several others introduced in other products. Uh, the last build of the Player's Handbook is the one that, on one hand, like stands out as being relatively like non-iconic in the same way like ninjas uh kung fu masters that kind of stuff these all go back to to you know iconic sort of uh pop culture that people have been consuming for a long time um way of the four elements is how do you make the martial artist who's a bender from like avatar uh, the last airbender and and those kinds of stories right um the the martial artist who's throwing fire and bending the wind and and you know freezing the water and doing all those kinds of st- things, um, it's kind of and they kind of did it by saying you're you're a monk, but you can use your key powers or your key uh, points to to basically do spells. Is that is that accurate? Yep, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, there's a few things in there that aren't spells. They seem like they could be spells that just no one ever turned them into spells. Mm-hmm. But they they simply aren't formalized as spells, for mm-hmm. the most part, spells. Well, and that's one thing they made an effort on in 5th edition. Because um, in previous editions, there would be a lot people would have abilities that were like spells, but it would just kind of write it out differently. Whereas 5th edition just said, look, we're not going to beat around the bush. This ability is basically just this spell. Ignore the components and uh, use the just spell. Do, yeah, so, just spin these keyboards so sometimes the they do that, and sometimes they actually do go ahead and spell out the, the spell. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to deal with it being that spell as a sort of um, mechanical hook, if you understand mm-hmm. what I mean by that. Um, it's sort of about how 5th edition deals with Formal, te- formal terminology. Sure. There's mechanical reasons that they basically recreated the spell as a monk. Uh, yeah. Monk of the, of the four elements uh, ability. Um, so one of the, the critiques of the way of the four elements that I've heard is that so the, the way of the four elements monk isn't getting any more key points, but they're getting a ton more things to do with key points. And oftentimes using these abilities is not really any better than using the the stunning strike or the flurry of blows that they're already getting from being a core a core monk. And so I've heard a lot of uh, a lot. I've heard some 
critique of the way of the four elements monk that the elemental abilities really don't come up very often because they end up using their key on, on basic stuff. That's certainly what I hear too. Yeah. I, I mean, I did play uh, a way of the four uh, elements monk and I did feel that way. Um, I think I was envisioning it being like a lot cooler as you, as one would imagine, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of those abilities were definitely um, just lackluster it's uh, like you, you think of uh, most most classes that get points get one point per level. Um, and you think of like, you know, using most of your points just to like cast an effect and then it's gone. Whereas the base monk, just like you're saying, most of what it does, it does with a point each time. And so you're you're really uh, it's just in that same way that they have that bonus uh, action economy. They also have their points economy that, that favors what they already do over the the kind of options that you get. And so it might be kind of neat to do these things, but it, it really doesn't make you any more effective. Mm-hmm. It, it would almost be better just to take uh, multi-class into, I don't know, say, um, you know, some kind of a spell casting class yeah. to get access to these spells. And then you're not losing anything from your abilities as a, as a monk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've had um, four elements monks in my games before. And, um, they, they were effective in the game, but not because of their elemental abilities. And it makes me think, well, if I were to play a monk, I'd probably go with one of the other two because those abilities do add something um, that's going to come up and in, in play on a regular basis that will make me better at being a monk, right? Being able to heal myself decently well or being able to shadow step or whatever is going to be a thing that I'm doing on a regular basis. Um, but the the four elements monk that I saw, I think the elemental abilities came up a couple of times, maybe three or four as we got into higher levels. And I think that was because, um, am I remembering right, that at that point they could like, throw up a wall of fire sort of thing it was it was that sort of stuff that that really changed things right is being able to uh what is it um oh shape of the flowing river came up once because because somebody like pulled water out of a nearby pond and formed a a wall of ice to buy them a few rounds that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. but but it didn't come up most sessions like it was it was you know uh maybe once per level at most you know, so it didn't right. come up very often. Most of that really good stuff comes out at level 17. And if you start seeing other classes and what they can do at level 17, there's right. no comparison. Right. So I guess what we're saying is uh, benders are really cool and everybody should watch Avatar. But um, this is not necessarily the best way to play those characters, right? So. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, and there's there's a few that I've seen uh, I've seen made good use of. Uh, Fist of Unbroken Air. I've got a monk in my game who he'll toss that out every so often whenever he needs a ranged attack or if anything's flying. That and I've seen him make some good use of that. Um, Fangs of the Fire Snake. If you just are finding one of those enemies you don't want to touch, hmm. like, there there's a handful that are useful in certain situations, and um, they're all very evocative. Like most of these things that you read, like I can see like mentally I can picture all this stuff happening and being really cool. But if you're looking for the most optimized version of the monk, eh, the other ones are probably better. Sure. I wonder if like a fairly simple thing like the a monk of the four elements gets half as many key points on top of the normal again, 
but is required to use those bonus ones on elemental powers, right? So throw them the, the bonus of the resource in order to encourage them to use them to do that thing. I don't know. I'm trying to fix the thing as we go on the fly, and it's probably not very functional, but um, I feel like there's a, I, way, there's a way to make it work. I think you'd get somewhere with that, to be honest, considering they can spend more key to uh, cast for the higher level slot. Mm-hmm. I think I think that might actually have some legs. Okay. Um, I I think a really really easy fix would just be to give them access to a cantrip that is specially made for them that uh, allows you to do like an unarmed attack that deals elemental damage or something, sure. and that wouldn't break anything. Yeah, uh, you could do that with a feat, in fact, if you really wanted to. Yeah, green flame punch, guys. Green flame punch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would also say to let so typically you can only take the flurry of blows action after you make the attack action I would say allow your monks to use flurry of blows after using one of their way of the four elements mm-hmm. abilities like yeah. okay so uh, we've talked about oh did somebody have something else I want to say Brandis was that you no, uh, go ahead Jonathan so I did want to jump back. We we kind of skimmed through some of the uh, the earlier traditions, like Way of the Open Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did want to bring out that as far as kind of controlling a battlefield and making a, a DM's life not, not miserable, but more complicated, the ability where every time you hit someone, you can ma- force them to save versus being prone or knocked away or mm-hmm. can't take reactions. In terms of like battlefield control, you can have a lot of fun with that, especially in like big evocative set piece encounters where you're running around pushing people into lava, knocking people on their back, and then continue running. Um, especially with the amount of attacks you get, you can have so much fun with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with the uh, same with the way of shadow. Like it's probably you're not going to do as much damage, but teleporting in and out of shadows where suddenly you're standing behind the boss because it made the poor decision to have a candle lit room. You know, mm-hmm. there you go. Um, so I guess if you kind of look at those with the way of the four elements, if you're not looking for what is like from a combat perspective the most effective, but really spend a lot of time thinking about uh, like visually what can you see your monk doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all, they're all a lot of fun. They're all very evocative. Um, you know, there are some that yes are mechanically better than others, but the idea of you know you run out and suddenly you summon a some, some water out of your canteen to whip someone across the face. That's really cool. And mm-hmm. yes, it's very evocative of Avatar. It's still really cool. Yeah, it is. So I would just encourage people who are looking at these various monk paths, you know, don't get discouraged because you think the way of the four elements isn't good or the way of the shadow doesn't let you be the one strike in your dead ninja that, say, the, the assassin rogue build gets to do. Um, really focus on those abilities and think about just the visual of how they play out in game. It may not be the most effective, but damn if it's not a lot of fun. Well, and, and I think that brings up an interesting point, is that part of the reason that I think people are disappointed in the way of the four elements is is because they're optimizing a little bit. Um, but if you're focused on what's cool and, and you're going to say, hey, I chose this thing, I'm going to use the heck out of it and show off the awesome things that, that I can do as, as this kind of a monk... Um, I think you may get more more mileage and more fun out of your game by by playing that up some more. I, I do want to mention. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. No, Let, go you, ahead. you finish. No, go I ahead. was just going to say, uh, I I am going to mention that I did play that monk of the four elements in a dark sun game, and we did some exploration in the silt sea, 
and I was able to use that kind of like cantrippy, like you can shape things into like elements into things mm-hmm. to do some exploration in a place that was like not underwater as you would imagine, but under silt. So that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right on. So I think there's opportunities there. Um, I think it may not be the most optimal version of the monk, um, but there's some interesting and evocative sort of role-playing um, choices that can be made there. So um, We've gone well over an hour at this point, so uh, uh, any last thoughts on the monk? Who's got some last things they want to make sure to say before we move on? Well, I, I do want to very, very quickly hit the uh, Zathar's Guide uh, monk builds um, because you've got Drunken Master and Kensai and Sun Soul. Um, and while I don't want to you know, dig into their mechanics too much, they're all doing super different things, and that's pretty great. Um, I think that uh, Drunken Master takes um, so, some care with the theme unless you're comfortable with being pretty silly. Um, it doesn't need, doesn't have to be silly, but a lot of players would take it there. Right. Kensai is uh, uh, what if monk but weapons, mm-hmm. um, and they're great. Um, there was a lot of work that went into getting their wording tuned just right in um, Unearthed Arcana. There's a there are a lot of rounds of that, and then Way of the Sun Soul is um, kind of what if Way of the Four Elements but just fire. Okay. Right. It's much more of a Dragon Ball Z like radiant monk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that one's um, based on an actual uh, Forgotten Realms tradition, if, as I recall. Um, uh, yeah, that yeah. one was also in Sword Coast. Yeah, because that's Surface that's Adventures built guy. off of, um, uh, of the followers of of the Sun God from from the Forgotten Realms. So, cool. Any other last thoughts? Uh, yeah. Oh. So my my one. Oh, sorry, Ishmael, go ahead. Uh, no, no, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say really quick that uh, the one thing I don't think we really mentioned about uh, monks is that they have this real kind of mystical connection. And there are the obvious kind of things that we say, like, oh, they get to leap farther and the, they get to punch through mountains or whatever. But uh, a lot of what you see in their kind of level progression uh, mirrors that kind of Eastern philosophy. Like uh, when I say Eastern, I mean like Buddhist philosophy where you're reaching some kind of a perfection. Mm-hmm. And you see some of their really high-level abilities let them do things like turn invisible and mm-hmm. uh, astral project. Um, so I think there's something there that, uh, you know, that that search for, like, the perfection of self is really important right. to monks. And they regain key points through meditation and that kind of stuff. Right, right. Uh-huh. Okay. Other last thoughts? Uh, so one thing, just reflecting back on the subclasses, I feel probably, I'm possibly more than any other class, the subclasses of the monk change the feel of the monk. Mm. Um, you know, a, a thief rogue and an assassin rogue, like they're really they're pretty similar. Um, you know, slight mechanical differences, but overall they don't feel too differently. But a way of the shadow monk versus a versus a sun soul monk, those are very very different beasts. And uh, so I feel like monks definitely one of those things where you could have an entire party all playing different kinds of monks. And have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and they do that with just three or four additional subclass abilities, right? I, yeah. Like I think I said earlier three, but but most of them uh, have four. Now that I've flipped through them more. 
very good, yeah. So there's a lot there uh, of interest in the monk, and with a, a the right setting or a creative DM, I think there's no reason that people should not be exploring the monks a little more. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode, if everybody's okay with that. Sure. All right. I want to say thank you to our sponsors, NobleKnight.com and DiceEnvy.com. I also want to thank our guest, Brandis. Where can people find you if they wanted to, to get in touch or find out more about what you're up to? Well, my blog is BrandisStoddard.com. Um, my Twitter account is at BrandisStoddard, and I write for Tribality.com. There we go. And Jonathan, what about you? Uh, so people can find me here on the Tome Show Network over at the uh, Performance Check Podcast. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm taking a brief hiatus for the last uh, month or so, but I'll be back on soon at John underscore M underscore Green. There you go. And Ishmael. Um, I've been very active recently on Twitter under Elven Wizard King, and I also have a revived blog at elvenwizardking.wordpress.com. There you go. Uh, and I also want to thank all of you out there listening for supporting the show. You shop on our affiliate links when you, you go to Amazon or DMs Guild. If you get there from thetomeshow.com, we get a small little sliver of whatever you spend and you get the exact same experience. It just helps us out along the way. And I also want to thank, of course, our patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thetomeshow, um, where people support us directly in that way and and we thank them hardly for doing so if you want to get a hold of the show you can email the tome show at gmail.com you can call the biz line at 919 biz tome that's 919 b-i-z-t-o-m-e i think uh if you want to get a hold of tracy and ask her uh what she did for her anniversary which is why she's not here tonight uh you can tweet her she is at sarah dark magic you can tweet me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And you can tweet the show at The Tone Show. Uh, and that is episode 306, where we reached into ourselves and felt the way that we are connected to all living things through an energy that binds us together. Some sort of for uh, our key. As we discussed monks in this episode of The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't think we fancy Let me teach you about class Priest, fighter, road, cats, a kick Your ass You don't think we street Look at this table full of ice You don't think we hard Just touch my face You don't think we can get it At the birds and the bees I'm a pallet in the suits in the shoes. My character shoots cause they fold to the brim with maxed out sass after effing my DM. He think he in charge, we don't worry about him. Simple when he has to get us, be like Jack the Swim. Master player, traitor, master creator. Look at me, master NPC generator. Just cause she a master doesn't mean you have to hate her. Got a boy, I don't need to be no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying cause it's just like baseball. There's no crying. You want to join in? Now you start realizing we're the cool, cool nerds. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A and S. D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario. Then he or she asks, where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo. We could play forever. Stay by Bellamy. 